0: Good to see everybody again this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. So today, we're going to get a chance to look at what amounts to be our highest calling in life, and that is imitating God. So that may sound a little daunting at first, but Paul's going to break this down really nicely for us. There's actually two things that he teaches us today about what it means to imitate God. So you only have to remember two things. But, of course, then putting them into practice is where we find the challenge. I'm not going to tell you what those two things are yet. It's an encouragement to get you to stay awake. But I also think it's important before we dive into those that we look at the context from which we're starting here. So for the past two weeks, Paul has been focused on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives, how he was given to us as a gift The moment that we placed our faith in Jesus and we were born again. And the Holy Spirit resides in our inner being. And He's always about the business of doing two things He is sanctifying us, making us more holy each day, and He's uniting His church. And what we learned is that we must not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In many ways, this passage has helped us appreciate. That God is in a relationship with us. You know, if you think about the loved ones in your life, we try pretty hard not to grieve or hurt them because we care deeply about them. But sometimes because we can't touch, we can't smell, we can't hear, we can't see God, we don't realize that He is in a relationship with us and He desires to be in a relationship with us. And so, We really need to start appreciating this personal intimacy with God that he wants with us by desiring to not hurt him so that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that happens whenever our behavior is characterized by that list Paul gave us up there in orange. We looked at this last week, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. It hurts the Holy Spirit whenever we behave that way. He doesn't leave us, but there's a distance of sorts that happens, just like whenever we hurt one of our friends. There's a distance that's there. And so Paul exhorts us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Walk hand in hand with him instead by being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Those things you see up there in blue. And notice there really isn't any middle ground between those two lists up there. We're either walking in step with the Holy Spirit or we're grieving him. And far too often, we grieve Him. It explains so much of our backsliding in life, our lifeless prayers, our lack of interest in Scripture. And that is because the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do those things. So if you missed either of the last two weeks, strongly encourage you, go back and check it out. It's just too important of a topic for us to miss. Because when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we simply cannot do What Paul is encouraging us to do today, imitate God. Because whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're by definition working against God, so we are not imitating Him. And because, after all, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to imitate God. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's roll up our sleeves, dive in. Paul writes, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now by now we know that Paul loves to use these transition words like therefore and he does that to convey these important linkages. So he's clearly wanting to link what he's teaching us today with all that we learned in the past. So in light of his call for us to put off the old self and to put on the new self In light of his call to walk with the Holy Spirit and not grieve him, we must therefore be imitators of God. So we need to do both of those two things to help us be imitators of God. Now, the original word for imitator, mimetus, means to mimic, to follow, to behave like, or to be like. So now do you see why this is our highest calling? Because we're to mimic follow behave or be like God and of course to imitate someone you kind of have to know a little bit about that person so let's make sure we understand which attributes of God that we are to be like because not all of them apply there are some qualities that we cannot and we should not strive to imitate for example God's sovereignty the fact that he is all-knowing all-powerful ever-present and the author of truth those are unique to Almighty God, and that is not what Paul is referring to. Scripture does not call us to that. Unfortunately, too many Christians behave as though they're sovereign or they're all-powerful, or the author of truth, but we must never go there. Rather, Paul is referring to those attributes of God that we can and must imitate, such as being holy, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving and loving. In fact Scripture explicitly directs us to imitate God along all of these lines. For example, Moses recorded God in Leviticus directing, Be holy, for I am holy. And of course, last week we studied those other items up there that we were called to be, kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. And then today, we're specifically directed to love. So no doubt there are many more characteristics we find in Scripture that we are to imitate, but you get the gist. We're to be imitators of God in each of these regards. And then Paul tells us how. As beloved children. And this is a theme that Paul's been on about since those opening lines of this letter that he writes to the church in Ephesus. That those who freely choose God are those whom God has freely chosen as his adopted children. And as it specifically says here, They are beloved children. God loves his children. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit, been born again, then you are one of God's beloved children. And I hope that's something that we all cherish in here because that is our actual identity. It doesn't matter what people think we are. It doesn't matter the identity that our parents give us, our friends give us, our coworkers give us. The only thing that matters is the identity that God gives us. And he tells us that we're a beloved child of his. And just like a child tries to imitate a loving earthly father, Paul is teaching that we must strive to imitate our loving heavenly father too. It's why Paul has given us so many specific examples of those things that we're to put off and the things that we're to put on so that we might know how to imitate God. So that we're worthy of our calling as an heir to his kingdom. It's also important to note, a little bit later in this chapter, we're going to study this throughout the fall, and that's Christian marriage. Paul's going to show us, though, how the church will one day be the bride of Christ. The church is not yet the bride, but it will be in the fullness of time. For now, the church is betrothed to Jesus, or in our common language, he's engaged to be married. And so Paul is exhorting us, prepare ourselves for that wedding day. And how do we do that by becoming imitators of god holy kind tender-hearted forgiving loving making ourselves beautiful and pleasing to god just like a bride does for her groom on that wedding day and so after teaching us about holiness tenderness and forgiveness last week paul now moves on to love he writes and walk in love. Now, whenever we see that word walk, we know that means live a life of. So, we are to live a life of love. So, for all that comprises our time here on earth, for the Christian, our lives must be marked by love. If you think about that, love is essentially the test, it is the measure of our profession of faith. And everyone in here, I presume, has professed a faith, or else you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't come to church. times per month, which now we define as being a regular churchgoer. We come here to recite creeds, sing songs, pray, tithe, fellowship, try to stay awake for 20 minutes while that guy's up there rattling away on a sermon. And of course, all of that is well and good. That is certainly part of living a life of love. After all, Jesus attended church, and he taught us to be part of the church So we should imitate that for sure, but Paul is going well beyond that here. He is teaching that we're to walk in love, or live a life that both loves God and others, and that's to be in step with the great commandments that he gave us, to love God and to love others. So it goes well beyond coming to church on a Sunday. It's living an everyday, ordinary life of love. And we actually are going to train up on that, starting in September as a church, as we move into Pillars 2.0. There'll be a whole lot more on that in the month of August. Stay tuned. But the key is that we're living an everyday, ordinary life of love. And by love, we don't mean that feeling that we often mistake for love. Because remember, and we've taught this many times now, we see it all through Scripture, love is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It is a choice For example, we have to choose to put the interests of God and the interests of others ahead of ourselves in our everyday ordinary life. We have to set aside our own pursuits, stopping to help out our brother or sister who might be struggling, help them get back up. And so often in our Christian life, we start by going to church, and then we move, maybe we move, to start to help other people in need. And all of that, of course, is well and good, It shows that we're finally starting to get over ourselves. We're dying to self. Again, Jesus clearly helped those in need. So imitating him in this regard, it's important that we do it. But Paul is going even further than this. It's much more than church attendance and much more than just helping those in need. We can't stop there, even though helping those in need often makes us feel good about ourselves. There's more. Because after Paul asserts that we must walk in love, Notice how he gets very specific with what that looks like. He writes, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, unfortunately, when we see a line like that, we just tend to read right over it, and we miss the weight of what that really means. Because, yes, Jesus loves me. We know this. We've been singing these songs since our Sunday school days, right? And that's presumably why Paul describes specifically what Jesus did to demonstrate his love for us you see it wasn't just that Jesus had warm feelings about us no Paul writes he gave himself up for us he chose to do something in other words he loved us so much that he chose to give himself up for us because love is a choice he chose to stand in our place to shed his blood for our sin so that we might be forgiven Restored to the Father so that we might receive the Holy Spirit as a seal of our adoption So that we might be born again into a new life in Christ That is the measure of Christ's love for us That helps us begin to start to see what it is that Paul's really talking about here What it is that we're really supposed to imitate It's so important that we don't ever miss the fact that Jesus chose the cross He wasn't a victim of the religious establishment or a casualty of Roman oppression. He wasn't just caught up in a bad situation or just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, he willingly went to the cross. Do you remember when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come to arrest him? And Peter whips on his sword and he lops off one of the soldier's ears. And Jesus tells him, put that sword away. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want or he didn't need Peter to defend him or save him in any way at all. In fact, in Jesus' own words, he said, I could have called down 12 legions of angels if I wanted to, but I didn't. And why? Because he chose to give himself. He chose to bear that cross, to die for our sin, because he loved his Father. And he demonstrated that by choosing to do his will for his glory alone. And he loved us. And he demonstrated that by choosing to die for our sin. Because he wanted us to be restored to his Father that badly. So that is what we're to imitate. We're to choose to live a life of love like that. By loving God. By putting his glory above our own. And by loving others. By desiring that they be restored to the Father as badly as Jesus desired it. So yeah. Church is important. Assisting a brother or sister in need, is important. But do you see how Paul is talking about something so much more here? He isn't talking about us imitating Christ by walking in love just as he did. He isn't just focused on the way we interpret that. He actually wants to be really clear that we understand we are to imitate Christ, to walk in love just as he did. Now, of course, that does not mean that we have to go die on a cross, but it does mean that we imitate Christ by first loving God, by choosing to glorify Him, by putting His will first, by being obedient to Him, just like Jesus did. It's choosing to live a life where glorifying God is our only priority. Not our happiness, not our status, not our wealth, but choosing to live our life For God's glory alone if you think about that that's the transition that happens when we're born again we start down that path of holiness that we talk about all the time and we do that for God's glory alone it's not a sacrifice it's actually a joy once we start progressing down that road we actually see what it's like to be in that personal relationship with Jesus and then second we imitate Christ by loving others by desiring that they are restored to the Father as badly as Jesus did. That's why he chose the cross, to restore God's children to their loving Father. So while we most likely will never be asked to, go to, a, to die on a cross, we are called to restore God's children. How? By sharing the gospel message with whoever God places in our path. That's how we love them. Think about that. Fulfilling our great commission to go and make disciples just like Jesus did. That's why he came, so that they might place their faith in Christ, be born again, and be restored to the Father. And then that they might go make disciples. So that's the ripple effect that happens from a handful of disciples to 2.5 billion believers today. That's how we imitate God as beloved children. That's how we walk in love. Just like Jesus did. That is the something more that Paul is on about here. That's the model he has in mind. And to hammer this point home, in no uncertain terms, Paul explains what actually happened on the cross. Jesus became a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. By using this language, Paul points us back to Christ being the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. You see, back in Old Testament times, before Jesus, there's only one way to have your sins forgiven, and that was to sacrifice an animal. We remind ourselves of this fact. Every time we take communion together, we use those words from the writer of Hebrews, that there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And that is a truth we find in Scripture. So how did this work back in the day? Well, if you wanted your sins forgiven, first, you had to offer up a perfect, unblemished, animal. We'll say a lamb. The priest would then place his hand on the animal's head to symbolically indicate that your sins were transferred now to that animal. Then the animal was slaved, and the priest would then take the animal's blood to the innermost sanctuary of the temple, where he would pour it out all over the altar, signifying that the animal had paid the penalty now for your sin. Then the priest would take the animal's body to the altar on the outer courts of the temple, and he would burn it so that a fragrant aroma would ascend to the presence of God. Noah did that very same thing as soon as the waters finally subsided. He built an altar, burnt clean animals as an offering to God, and Scripture says when God smelled the pleasing aroma, he made one of his major covenants with man by saying, I will never again curse the ground because of man. That's what Paul means when he describes Jesus giving himself up for us with those words, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Because that's exactly what happened when Jesus chose to give himself up for us. He was that unblemished, without sin, perfect offering, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So just like the sacrifices in the Old Testament, he took on our sin. They were transferred to him. And then he was slayed on the cross where his blood was shed to atone for our sin. In other words, he paid the price for your sin and for mine, just like those animals did back in those Old Testament days. But unlike Old Testament sacrifices that had to be performed time and time again, Jesus' sacrifice was the last one It only happened once. That's why from the cross, before he died, Jesus declared, it is finished. God doesn't require a blood sacrifice anymore. Jesus atoned for all sin, past, present, and future. And why did he do it? Because he loves his Father and glorified him, no matter the cost. And because he loves us, because he wanted us to be restored to the Father. And that's exactly what we are to imitate Glorify God, no matter the cost in our life. And second, helping all those God places before us to be restored to the Father by making disciples. That's what walking down that path to holiness, hand in hand, with the Holy Spirit is all about. That is what he's empowering us to do, to imitate God. So yeah, we gotta go to church. Yeah, we gotta help our brothers and sisters out who are in need but we can't stop there. We cannot be satisfied with that. We must get our eyes off of ourselves and make God's glory our sole priority. And we must do as Christ did and commanded us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, so that God's children can be reconciled to their Father. That's how we walk in love. That's how we imitate God just like Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us through the truth of Scripture how it is that we are to imitate you. Help prepare us as your bride for that day when we will all be united in your presence for all eternity. Make us desperate, aching and longing for that day. And in the meantime, strengthen us that we might walk in love, glorifying you and making disciples of all nations. For Jesus' sake, amen.